Welcome, welcome to the second episode of the recently resurrected Stat Stories. I'm Chad Shanks. And I'm Justin Kabatko. On today's episode, a generational talent could soon be on the move. But will it even matter since a team of all-stars is making the inevitable look probable? And finally, are we seeing a shift in the league's balance of power? But first, a shout out to our sponsor, Placeholder. Are you a recently resurrected podcast looking to get some cash for your efforts? Use Placeholder to show potential sponsors that you're willing and very capable of selling their product in your show. And the best thing about Placeholder is it can be replaced just like that. All you have to do is DM on Twitter at StatMuse or email hello at StatMuse.com. And all this is made possible by Placeholder. Again, that's Placeholder. It's just a placeholder. This is going to work, Justin. This is going to work. I was going to say, at what point will this become old? There's, there's, a <laughs> long, there's a long history of shameless begging working. And I'm going to capitalize on that. Great. All right. The big story this week in the NBA, of course, that you had to have heard by now is Anthony Davis has requested a trade. Well, via his agent, Rich Paul, who told Adrian Wojnarowski and ESPN on Monday that he won't sign an extension with the Pelicans and wants to be traded to a contender. Now, the Pelicans have said they won't, don't want to move him before next Thursday's trade deadline unless they're blown away by an offer. But, of course, this sent the NBA world into a frenzy. And I think I've seen every possible potential trade post that there is and every breakdown of what should happen and uh, that he can go to every possible contender and, you know, even the Lakers. Ba-dum-bum. So, Justin, what could we possibly say about this that hasn't already been said and again we're recording this on a wednesday and this story broke uh, late on monday so it's only really been three days but it already feels like i have read every possible take in this situation give me actually some- I, think it, I think it was first thing monday because i believe i woke up to that woge first you're right you're right, you're right yeah 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 so what could what can you possibly tell me that i don't already know about this situation right so like you said the the sort of what trade possibilities exist for the Pelicans that's already kind of been done to death I read an article in the and the athletic the other day like where they took their um their columnist for each of the 30 teams and basically had to give their give their take on whether or not the, you know their team that they cover could could acquire Davis so there, there's already been lots of good stuff about that um out there I think one of the really interesting things here is just the question of you know how often does a big man who is this talented become available um, to all the other teams, right? It doesn't happen very often. So like Davis this year is averaging about 29 points and 13 rebounds per game. So I decided, okay, I'm going to lower those uh, thresholds to say 27 points and 11 rebounds per game and see, you know, how many times has it occurred that a guy who was averaging that for all of all or part of a season then changed teams, right? And so I can only find three cases. Um, Will Chamberlain, 1964-65, spent about half the season with the San Francisco Warriors. The Warriors were having financial troubles, ended up trading him to the Philadelphia 76ers, and uh, Wilt went on to win his first title with them a few years later. I think Wilt was averaging like 39 points and 24 rebounds a game or something insane at the time of the trade. So there was one, uh, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, which a lot of people brought up his name this week um, because 
He is another big name center who told his team that he wanted to get traded. He's with the Bucks, and he told the Bucks he wanted out of Milwaukee, and they traded him to the Lakers. So of course, there's that uh, there's that parallel too, where you know everybody thinks Davis wants to go in the Lakers. Abdul Jabbar went to the Lakers. Anyway, that happened in 1974-75. It happened after the season. And then Moses Malone in 1981-82 with the Rockets averaged um, over 27 and 11. And then following that season, he went um, as a free agent from Houston to Philadelphia and won a title in Philadelphia. And those are the only three examples I could find. So, you, you, you know, it's very, very rare that you have sort of these, this, you know, generational talent become available like this. Yeah. And if you put, um, going back to the Kareem Abdul-Jabbar comparisons, if you put what Davis is averaging now this season in points, rebounds, assists, blocks, steals, Compare it to see if anyone's ever done that in a full season before. Put that in the stat muse. The only one that comes back is Kareem Abdul-Jabbar in 74-75. Now, I know we're cherry-picking some stats here, but uh, the similarities in the in the situation is... Uh, is uh is quite incredible especially and, if yeah you, and you know what i forgot that i left out something that was like davis is younger than all those guys he is still 25 i believe right so you know not only do you have this guy who is is putting up stats that are similar to all-time great big men but he's also still very young i mean he's still in the prime of his career so yeah just very very unusual yeah so do you well, first of all, let's talk about Davis in particular um, as a player. Of course, I'm, I don't think we even need to wax poetically about what what kind of a talent he is and all that good stuff. That just that goes without saying. But I wanted to get your take on your opinion on his tenure with New Orleans. So, where where does the the onus of the the, the blame or whatever? I know it's always more than just one person's fault in these types of situations, but. I mean, he was number one draft pick. He's put up these incredible numbers the entire time he's been there without a whole lot to show for it. I mean, they've only made the playoffs twice, have one series win, and he's been incredible when he's been in the postseason. But, I mean, they, as a franchise, have just kind of been going nowhere, and now it looks like they're heading towards a straight-up rebuild. So that's always the criticism when you start talking about great players. Oh, the, the greatest players, they make their teammates better. They lift you know, a rising tide lifts all boats, all that kind of stuff. I mean, how do you think that applies in Davis's situation? Is it, did he not rise to the occasion to build a team around him or, you know, to, to play well enough to make his teammates better? Or, you know, is it the Pelicans for not doing enough to, to build around him when, when they had the chance? I think it's several things. So I think one of them is the last thing you mentioned there. Like, I don't think the Pelicans have done a very good job of, surrounding him with with talent that will elevate his game um in terms of the playoffs so this is this is kind of something i was thinking about you know one of the the things is the pelicans rarely have a good seed like like you said they made the playoffs twice but they i don't think they had great seeds either time and then the other seasons they didn't make it and i I think one thing that plays a role in that is that davis will quite often miss games um i think if you look through his career He's only played more than 70 games twice. I think he played 75 games twice. And then all the other seasons, he played like in the 60s. So, you know, he's, he's missing like 15 to 20 games. Well, that, that, that's, that's a huge deal in the regular season, right? You miss, you know, your best player is out 15 games. That, that could be a big hit in the standings and, and really um, affect whether or not you make the playoffs and obviously affect where you're going to be seated if you do make the playoffs. So I think 
the fact that Davis has not been able to, you know, play close to 82 games in any season is is a factor here. And I would worry about that going forward, right? Because right now he's he has a broken finger or something, whatever. Something's wrong with his finger. I can't, I can't remember the name of the of the of the uh, injury exactly, but he has something you know, you know that's going to keep him out. It looks like for a while. Um, so yeah, I mean, like, so things like that, like, okay, yeah, broken finger, that happens all the time, right? This is just going to happen in the game of basketball. But it seems like every season there's been something with Davis that's kept him out for a, a prolonged period of time, and I would worry about that going forward. Yeah, and there was the story about how the Pelicans were using the Saints trainers, like football trainers, to deal with their basketball players, and they had more games missed to injury, like by far, than any other team during that span, and. So in a way, if you want to take that route, I mean, in a way, you can kind of blame his health issues on the Pelicans. And um, when I was with the Rockets, I knew people who had worked for the Pelicans who had jumped ship after the Bensons acquired the team. And basically, all the stuff that's come out about them just kind of being using all their football staff to run everything for basketball and just trying to take a football mindset to a basketball team that they treated kind of like as the the bastard stepchild. Um, the, the people I knew who were in there verified that very much, that the that everyone on the basketball staff um, from front office to marketers and ticket salespeople felt like they were the second rate franchise and didn't get what they needed. Um, of course, that's hearsay. I wasn't there personally, but the, I... I've heard enough of those stories, and now that it's come out publicly with what they did with the trainers, that, yeah, there might be something there. There might be something there about how this this franchise has been run, and they're looking to, I guess, get punished for it here with their generational star wanting to walk. And as we've seen with when this has happened before, teams don't always immediately recover for this from this. Um, it's definitely not a cult situation where... Peyton Manning takes off and all that you have Andrew Luck waiting in the wings. Um, I mean, you look at the magic at post Dwight Howard walking, um, they still have not returned anywhere close to where they once were. I mean, there's almost every situation in this, the team that's losing the superstar is going to be worse off possibly for a long time. Cause what can you even get realistically that's going to make up for losing someone like Anthony Davis. Right. But I mean, keep in mind too, you never know, right? Look, look at the Pacers um, a couple of years ago with Paul George, right? I mean, everybody thought that this is the Pacers are just going to get, you know, they're, they're going to be in trouble after they get rid of George. Cause there's no way they're going to get back talent in return. That's going to help them be a winning team, a playoff team. And I remember when George was traded for Sabonis and Oladipo, like everybody was just like mocking the Pacers saying what an awful trade it was. Well, actually, it's ended up being one of those rare trades that worked out well for both teams, right? Because the uh, the Thunder get one of the very best players in the game, probably a top 15 player in the NBA. And the Pacers get back an all-star guard, who unfortunately is going to miss the rest of the season with an injury, but they get back an all-star guard and a young big man who is one of the best six men in the game right now. So it, it can work out for you, but you're right that probably more often than not, these teams that have to trade away the, the star players, they, they will struggle for quite a while after that move. Yeah. So if you're the Pelicans, what do you do? Well, I mean, what's your strategy here? We don't want to go through and just break down, right. like you said, every here, here's what the Celtics can offer. Here's the salary cap, blah, 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 blah. Just from high level, I mean, what's your strategy if you're put in this situation? 
So I don't know if this qualifies as a hot take. Maybe it's a warm take. <laughs> I, I would really put serious thought into putting him in mothballs for the rest of the season. Uh, oh, given yeah. his, <laughs> give, you know, just just given his his health problems in the past, his injury problems in the past, I would not want to bring him back. You know, if if the choice is to wait until after the season, I would not want to bring him back and risk uh, some sort of career threatening or career ending injury. So I, I think I would I would just say, you know, we'll keep paying you. You go ahead and sit in the bench and cheer for your teammates, but you're you're probably not going to play the rest of the season. And the reason I would do that is, first of all, it brings Boston into play, right? Because there's that that crazy salary cap thing or whatever where they can't um, trade for Davis as long as Kyrie Irving is still under his current contract. And so it brings Boston into play. And even with the other teams, it, it will bring more clarity to the draft position, right? So if you do it after the lottery, post-lottery, you'll know what specific you know draft picks you're dealing with here instead of thinking, well, okay, this is going to be a top, 14 pick but i don't know where exactly it's, exactly it's going to fall so I, I i would i would tend to just just you know be willing to to put everything on hold and wait see the season through and then and then figure things out what do you think yeah well yeah i definitely agree with that the pelicans have have no reason to to force a move right now or to accept something that that they shouldn't they should get as much as they possibly can for him and there's there's no reason for them to, to do it in the, within the next week. They're, you know, they're not going to lose any, any value on him. Um, but I think if, I mean, if I'm one of the other teams that knows that Davis is available, I mean, what wouldn't you give up for this guy? You know, I've, if they wanted to get their, their best possible deal as quickly as possible, if I'm, if I'm in any position, I mean, who would you, who would you say is off limits for Anthony Davis? I mean, I'd give up everyone that I right, had. It's a, it's a handful of players, right? I mean, there's just a handful of players that you wouldn't trade for them. Yeah. But if that's the, if, if that's the case, I mean, what are the, what are the Pelicans going to do with a bunch of the riffraff from the Lakers that, that's not going to put them in any bit of a better situation, but still, if you're the Lakers and, you know, I said we weren't going to go through specific trade situations, but just for example, like if you're the, <laughs> But now you are. If you're the like, I'm just saying like the the craziness of the situation because, like you said, a player of this caliber does not become on the open uh, doesn't come on the open trade market that that often. And so if you're if you're a team like the Lakers, would you rather have LeBron, Lonzo, Ingram, Kuzma, Rondo, or LeBron, AD, and then just fill it up with a bunch of uh, G leaguers? Just call up call up a bunch of guys that and it doesn't matter because you've got those arguably or i guess ad would definitely be a top 10 player in the league i'm, I'm not sure where you would actually slot him but oh no two, he's a top five two, player in the yeah league. two of the top five players on the league on the same squad fill in the rest and you can make it work um like so lakers need to be taken the, the or whoever else whatever team just take the uh the marie kondo method are you familiar with this lady no. Uh, from the Netflix show and the book. So she's this adorable little Japanese lady who goes into people's houses and basically tells them, pick up all your crap and get rid of all your junk. And she tell, like she helps people tidy. And this is a show, and it is a big deal. Um, but I watched some of it and out of morbid curiosity. And her thing is telling people to get rid of something if it doesn't spark joy. So this need this whole situation with if Anthony Davis is available, you just go through your roster and look at player by player and have the the NBA's uh, 
Marie Kondo method, whatever, whatever she calls it, the NBA's Cond Marie method, and just say, all right, Brandon Ingram, do you really spark joy? No, you're gone. Lonzo, do you spark joy? And your dad and the the BS that comes along with it? I, I, I don't know. Let's let's get rid of you. Let's fold you. Let's fold you up nicely, put you in a box, and send you off to New Orleans if that's what they want. There should be no holding back. No, no anything in this situation. Yeah, I I agree. I agree. It's 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 you you you. you and I would say that if you're a team who's going to to make an offer for him, this isn't like buying a house where you lowball, right? I, I would put my best offer in first because yeah. you don't want to miss out on a chance to get him. So you don't you don't fool around, you don't try to lowball. You just say, okay, here here's our best offer, take it or leave it. Yeah, and when super youth, like you said, when superstars are on the move like this with Wilt, with um, Moses Malone, the, re- the other ones that you brought up, even thinking back the big um, trade deadline deal in 95 that sent Drexler to the Rockets, um, Paul Gasol got sent to the Lakers on a trade deadline deal. Like All these end up working out fairly well for the team that's on the on the receiving end. Um, there was the mellow trade to the Knicks. That was a big, big deal that did, maybe didn't work out for the Knicks. But for the most part, if you can acquire this level of a – a star like the history is on your side you need to get out there and do it right those three players i mentioned chamberlain jabbar malone the teams they went to all won titles shortly after they acquired those players so yeah this is a situation history history suggests that you know it's i mean there's not much history but what we have suggests that acquiring a generational talent um at the four or the five is definitely worth um the 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 investment so one more thing before we kind of move on from this um of course this sent off a frenzy not just in nba twitter and um nba media and stuff like that but since it's happened i mean other people are trying to jump on and make it about them like um Woj was reporting that Clay Thompson will want to be a Laker if they have AD and they don't give the Warriors don't offer him a max deal. There's all the stuff about Kyrie now saying he wants to reunite with LeBron and their BFFs again. Um, you know, all the just the NBA soap opera stuff that I think people get more of a kick out of than the games themselves. Just the trade deadline and free agency with the NBA is it's just such a crazy thing that people are so fascinated with. But we're talking about it, so I don't know if we're part of the problem or not. But it, but it is super interesting part of the game. But, of course... It's you know they're all just openly tampering now, and Davis got fined fifty thousand dollars, which is nothing to him. I think I saw with him making twenty five, twenty six million dollars a year. It's like if someone who makes fifty k a year, you're getting fined ninety bucks. So it almost is just incentivizing them to do this, and for these big these big name players to start manipulating and working the the scenes and the public to get what they want. So my question to you, like, is this a good thing or is it yet another instance showing that you know small market teams you just you can't compete even if you build it right because the guys are going to want to go to the big cities and on the coast with Paul George being the exception that you brought up but is this is this something that's going to hurt the league in the long run do you think is everyone just I mean I can see both sides like in terms of the players you know, being almost a libertarian at heart, I, I kind of like that these players have the the freedom to to um, 
to suggest what their own destiny should be and you know and not just leave it in the hands of of the the, the teams so i like the the player empowerment i don't like that you may end up with a handful of teams that end up as the uh as the places these players want to go and then you have the memphises and the indianas and the portlands those types of places that are great cities right they're great cities but there are small markets and, and the players just don't want to go to those places. And so, you know, I do have some sympathy for the, for the, the quote unquote smaller market teams in this scenario. Yeah. And I don't, we're obviously not the only ones griping about this, but I can't think of a possible way to fix it without greatly hurting one side of the, of the argument, you know, the players are the ones who make the money. The players are the ones who are putting their bodies on the line and their, their faces, their reputation, all that kind of good stuff. Like they deserve to have a say in, in their career, because that hasn't always been the case where they were at completely at the whim of owners who, you know, didn't, didn't care about what the player wanted at all. But then on the other end, yeah, we have team, like the NBA right now is essentially what, how many teams? I mean, there's just a handful of teams that are remotely relevant. And even when these situations come up, um, whenever there's a free agent, whenever there's a trade or whatever, it's always to the same handful of teams. Like the, there's, there's never any, any desire for these other teams. There's never anyone talking about them. It's just the same handful of teams over and over again. The rich keep getting richer. Um, Blah, blah, blah. Yeah, and I don't no, know but, what to do about it. But luckily, they're, they're, I mean, they're, they're like somebody like Paul George, right? Everybody assumed that he was pretty much a one and done in OKC, that he would be going to the Lakers after after last season. And it was kind of nice to see that he decided to stay there. Um, Oklahoma City is not, you know, uh, not a major, major city um, in the United States. It's a big city, but it's not a major city. And it's, you know, it's a smaller media market. And that one year that George stayed there, something about the city, something about the franchise, you know, it really appealed to him. And so it, it was kind of nice to see he decided he decided to stay there. So you, you just have to hope that, you know, and like Kawhi in Toronto, what's what's going to happen with Kawhi, Kawhi in Toronto? Toronto is not a small city by any means, but, you know, everybody assumed that Kawhi would be a one and done in Toronto and he would be going to L.A. at at the end of the season. Who knows what's going to happen? I mean, they have a really, really good team, and Toronto's a really cool city if you give it a chance. So who knows? Um, but yeah, it, it's it's th- these these markets where that might not be appealing to players. They're going to have to take risks, like the Raptors have taken and like the Thunder took. Otherwise, they're not going to get these these types of players. But even if AD is dealt, you know, will it even matter? Because to paraphrase the great Dennis Green, the Warriors are who we thought they were. And after a disappointing 7 and 7 November and then a pedestrian, at least by their standards, a 10 and 5 December, it kind of gave other teams a glimmer of hope that the juggernaut in the bay was fading. But since then, they've ripped 11 straight wins in dominating fashion. They've also won 10 straight road games while scoring at least 110 points in each, becoming just the third team in NBA history to pull that off uh, via ESPN Stats and Info. Oh, and they've also integrated AD's old teammate DeMarcus Cousins pretty seamlessly, who's averaging 15 points and 7 boards in his 5 games after returning after nearly a year absence because of an Achilles injury, an injury that's supposed to be pretty difficult to overcome, but he is showing no rust thus far. So Justin, so after, 
The Warriors teased us a little bit, but is it back to the inevitable? Does anyone have a legitimate chance to beat these guys with a healthy boogie in tow? Not if they're going to keep playing the way they're playing now. Um, yeah, they've, they've been something else this month. And, and, you know, the Boogie's only been there five games. So, like, huge, small sample size alert with all of this, right? Because we don't really know what Boogie's going to do long term with them. But, you know, these first five games have been impressive. So, you know, you were talking about his per game stats. What's interesting is if you look at his, like, per 36-minute rates and his shooting percentages – it looks like he has not skipped a beat. So back to last season, before he got injured, he was averaging 25 points, 13 rebounds, five assists per game. Per 30, or not per game, I'm sorry, per 36 minutes. This year, it's 25 points, 12 rebounds, six assists per 36 minutes. So it's like it's hardly changed at all. And then last year, he was shooting 47% from the field and 75% from the line. So far this year, 49% from the field, 78% from the line. So it's like he's almost like the exact same player per 36 minutes that he was last season. And once again, yes, very small sample size, five games here. But still, you know, I, the early returns are encouraging. And, and I think it's just, you know, right now they're sort of limiting, limiting his minutes. And it, as, as soon as they can uh, play him for longer stretches at a time, I mean, watch out because they're – they're just amazing right now when he's when he's with with them on the floor. Yeah, and you can't even use the the old argument about oh how are they going to integrate a superstar that's used to getting his touches and how you know used to getting his stats and blah 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 because they've already done it like they did it with Kevin Durant and so even like saying that they're not going to be able to pull this off it doesn't even hold up because they have done it and I mean it looks like guys like Draymond Green is taking kind of a step back on offense like his offensive numbers are down this year but it doesn't matter because the team's offense has been incredible like right now they currently have a 116.9 offensive rating for the season which would be the best in a season since 1973-74 which is far back as StatMuse has that data and that offensive rating has been three points per game better with since Boogie's been back. Again, super small sample size. But what team can actually beat them in a seven-game series right now? Like, well, Milwaukee, I think, is probably the best bet. Milwaukee, at this point in time, since the Warriors have gotten their act together, I would probably say the Warriors are the best team in the NBA right now. But if you look at the season as a whole... Milwaukee has been more consistent and they have been right there at the top the whole the whole time. So, you know, Milwaukee's a very, very, very good team. Can they beat the Warriors in seven games? I don't know. Um, can, they, can they even get out of the East with, you know, Toronto and Philly and Boston to deal with? Not sure about that. But, you know, other than that, I, I don't really know. about. I don't think there's anybody in the West who's really going to challenge them in a seven-game series. I really don't. There's There doesn't appear to be a team like Houston last season that's capable of doing that. Yeah, the Houston team was built to beat them, and it, it took an epic collapse in a Game 7 and a Chris Paul injury you know, for them to come short. And I don't see anyone that's even remotely close to that right now. Like, we talked about Denver last week and their defensive struggles we talked uh we talked about how Harden is a one-man team this season um yeah it it's almost a foregone conclusion that they have that they have the west barring any sort of big injuries on them but even let's all right Steph Curry goes down um for the season knock on wood 
would you still would you change your pick then? Kevin Durant goes down. They still they'd still have four all stars in their starting lineup, and the, Boogie would just take on a bigger role, and they would move on. Like is this is a juggernaut unlike we've seen like in in my lifetime. Yeah, I mean, well, they're starting five all stars right now, right? Five five former all stars, and I think the stat what is the the like the mid seventies Celtics were the last team to have five all stars start a game at the same time. So this yeah, this is not something you see very often, and it's yeah. I mean, if you're another team, it's it's got to be discouraging. You yeah, know? you you if you stop Curry, well then you still have Durant and Cousins and Thompson to deal with. And, you know how how do you stop all four of those guys at the same time? Is this good for the NBA? This kind of this dynasty and building and the inevitability of every season we're starting and it's like well it's the Warriors and there's and by the time June July comes around it's like well all right that was that was anticlimactic. Yeah, I don't I don't know. Um, I think. I think it's good for the most part to have dynasties because I think it draws a lot of attention to your sport. I know golf's like an individual sport, right? But remember when Tiger Woods was dominating and seemed to win every other major? That was really good for golf. That that brought a lot more eyeballs um, to golf than had previously watched before. And I think you're probably seeing a similar thing with the NBA where a team like the Warriors, this collection of all-stars, um, Probably is very attractive to the to the average fan, the general fan, and um, I, I right now I, I don't think it's a bad thing for the NBA. I, yeah. I think what could be what could be a bigger problem is what we mentioned earlier, where the talent just gets concentrated among you know a half dozen teams or something like that. But you know, having a team like this, I, I don't really think it's a bad thing. Yeah, and the and that problem is going to be exacerbated once individual teams are unable to move tickets except to the the games against those big those three four big teams where arenas are half empty because it's the the hornets and the i don't the hornets uh, name another crap team the magic. hornets and the magic you know a <laughs> true blank i almost said the knicks because they're so god awful but then i'm like oh yeah the knicks always have fans i was like the even when the lakers were god awful their game still sold out in houston because it was the lakers and people love them no matter what but yeah, once we get to the point where ratings across the board are sliding, except for these big teams, and ticket sales aren't what they were because there's just there are only five, six teams that are worth watching, and the revenue sharing doesn't make up for that. That that's when it's going to be a problem, and we might see some changes being made to the collective bargaining agreement. But until it gets to that, I think that's just a problem we have to deal with, and that's part of the game now. The The game is on the court as well, but it's also off the court, and the GMs and the teams that are willing to make the best decisions and play within these rules, those are the ones that are going to win. And Golden State, to their credit, I mean, they they built this team. Any other team could have done what they did, but it was them that did it, and now they're reaping the rewards. Right, but, and then, you know things will get really interesting after this season because they're going to have really some tough decisions to make. What do you do about Durant? There's probably no chance they can get Cousins back. Um, so they're they're going to have some some things to deal with after this season. But you know, enjoy it while it lasts because this this season, I, I, like we've said, I, it's really hard to envision any team knocking them off in a seven game series. Yeah, and so to 
transition to our final topic, just close it out a little bit. If the Warriors do already have the West wrapped up, which I think is just inevitable at this point, um, does the, has the East become the more interesting conference? For years it has been the East was, you just forgot about them because LeBron was going to come out of it, and it was LeBron and a bunch of, bunch of garbage, and the West was was the, the gladiator ring where everyone was just fighting to the death. But LeBron leaving opened it up for a new champion, and there are multiple teams right now who could realistically vie for it, whereas the West, like we said, it's Golden State or bust pretty much. So is there a shifting in power in the conferences right now in however you want to view that that term power? Is it in either the teams that are more of a threat or in just your overall interest? Do you see the East is finally kind of starting to catch up to the West? Are we still too early to say that? We're not too early and they're not catching up. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So if you look at um, interconference games, the West is 156 and 115 versus the East. So that's a 576 winning percentage. And that's going to hold up for the rest of the season. This will be the 10th year in a row, 10th season in a row, the West has won the interconference matchups in the 19th time in the last 20 seasons. So, you know, this has been going on for quite a while. And what's happening in the East this year is that the East is really top heavy. So if you just look look by winning percentage, four of the top six teams are in the East. But on the flip side, seven of the bottom nine nine teams are also in the East. So the East is a really top-heavy league. They don't have many teams in the middle. They have like some, some really good teams, you know, like, like we said. Um, you know, your your Philly, your Boston, your Toronto, your Milwaukee. Then you got some really bad teams at the bottom, and there's not a whole lot in the middle. Where, whereas the West, you know, it's sort of the it's the records a little more the records are a little more evenly distributed. Um, and so, yeah, I, I just don't see see the East having made up much ground at all in the West, to be honest. Yeah. Are, they, are the powerhouses in the East just getting false comp- confidence because they're just, they're just beating up on their own? They have yeah, so I, think, many- I think that's, that's, you know, like I said, for the top six teams by winning percentage. And of course, I think that has a lot to do with the fact that there's a lot of really bad teams in the East. And so their, their records are a little bit inflated by the, by the competition that they're playing. Yeah. And if, but- I mean, like, go ahead. I was going to say, but when the playoffs start, which which side do you think you'll be more interested in from the second round on? I would yeah, think. I th- the- well, I think the East Eastern Conference playoffs are going to be more interesting in terms of you don't really know who's going to come out on top among those four teams. What's uh, it's disappointing too because I would have thrown the Pacers in there as a fifth team because they were yeah. playing really well when Oladipo was was healthy. But you know now that he's had this terrible injury, they're not really going to be a factor. But you know those four teams. That's going to be an interesting battle, and I guess the I guess the one worry you would have is is it going to be such a, a rigorous battle, but that by the time they reach the finals, they're just going to be worn out. You know, um, I don't know. I, I think whoever gets out of the East this year is definitely going to be more battle tested than say the Cavaliers had been the last few seasons. Yeah, where they just just romped through without any real uh, competition. Well, I mean, they had some tough. Tough series last year, but yeah, but in general, that's it, been it was fairly easy for them. But again, we're just stuck with you're vying for the right 
to get slaughtered by Golden State. Yeah, probably. I mean, I think, yeah, it's... All right, we're done with this podcast series. <laughs> <laughs> I think we've solved the NBA. We'll, uh, we'll be back next season to see what's going on if Golden State is still the inevitable champion. No, it's, I mean, hey... LeBron beat him once. Uh, it's not out of the realm of possibility for it to for it to happen again. But I would not put any money on it at this point. No, I nor would I. I, I if if you gave me Golden State or the field, I would probably take Golden State. I think you would too. Yeah. All right. Um, before we go, give me. Yeah, I know you hate doing this, and I'm putting you on the spot. But at this time next week. Or I guess the trade deadline is next Thursday. Next Friday, where's Anthony Davis going to be? New Orleans. I don't think they're. I don't think they're going to move him. I think they're going to. They're going to take their time. This is going to be a story that drags on for several months, which will be great for the columnists and the uh, and the national writers, right? Because it's going to give them a nice story to go to when things are a little slow. Uh, yeah, I don't. I don't see any situation where davis is not a pelican by the end of the trade deadline yeah and it's just been a wonderful week for uh new orleans sports just watching the saints get get a game taken away from them now their their biggest their biggest basketball star are going to head out of town just great time in new orleans but mardi gras is starting soon so they will forget all about it yeah and you know what like i feel bad for the saints and their fans but get over it i mean it you know like there these lawsuits and then like ESPN ran a column the other day that like five of the 11 officials in that game had ties to Southern California or something like that. It's just, it's just absurd. Let it, let it go. It's over. You know, <laughs> you're not the first team to lose a game because of a horrible call and you will not be the last. And like, also, you know what, how about your coach makes better calls at the end of the game? How about that? Because that, that would help. They threw the ball on first down one time. Incomplete pass. Rams didn't have to use, have to use the timeout. I'm, I don't want to talk about football. But, <laughs> it, you know, there, there was lot, a lot of bad decisions made in that game um, by the Saints, their coaches, and by the officials. And it's just, you know, that's how it goes. So for any of our listeners who happen to be in New Orleans, his Twitter account is at jkabatko. And you can send him... Your thoughts on, on what he just said about your city. I think you were taking a shot at New Orleans, the city itself. And I think people should be very offended by that. So be sure and hit him up at Jay Kabatko and let him know what you think about him. He's very good at taking criticism. All right. If that's all the New Orleans hatred you have to give, let's wrap this up. Thanks, everyone, for listening to this second episode of the rebooted, resurrected Stat Stories. We'll be back next week to hopefully break down whatever other craziness happens with the trade deadline and all that good stuff. You can follow me at Twitter. I hardly tweet anything. If you know anything about my history, you probably understand why. But it's at Chad J. Shanks. Justin is at Jake Batco. The company that pays us is at StatMuse. Be sure to give them a follow as well. And we will see you on the next episode of Stat Stories.